I want to take a moment to say thank you to our show sponsors, which today is Organifi. I love all of their products because number one, they are organic. Number two, they are USDA certified organic. They're very low in sugar. They use the best superfood ingredients. And I've found a couple of products I'm absolutely in love with. Let me tell you the three that are my favorites. The first is Organifi Gold. That's what I'm drinking at night. It's like a warm cup of tea, but it kind of tastes like kind of an earthy hot chocolate. It's made out of nine different superfoods, and they are designed to help you get into deep sleep and recovery. You'll have better sleep. You'll have better REM sleep, which is really important to cleaning out those toxins in your brain and helping you to wake up and feel restored and refreshed. I drink that at night. Then during the day, if you follow me on Instagram, you know that I mix two other of their powdered ingredients. One is called Organifi Pure. And for me, it just tastes a lot like my lemon ginger water. I drink Pure because of the brain impact. It has clinical research that shows that your BDNF, which is your brain-derived neurotropic factors, are increased by over 206% by drinking this. And it tastes delicious. I happen to mix that with another product they sell that's called Immunity. And I started taking that at the beginning of coronavirus. And it's designed to improve your immune system. It just gives you the antiviral, antifungal, antibacterial support internally that you need from a combination of ingredients like beta-glucans, olive leaf extract, and vegan D3. I mix those two together. I think it's delicious. Organifi is a great company all the way around. Customer service, their product development, the way they lab test their ingredients. It matters to me, and I know it matters to you too. So check them out. I'm going to spell it for you. Organifi is O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I. O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com forward slash Shaleen. And when you go there, you will get 15% off if you enter the code Shaleen. So don't forget to enter the code Shaleen. That is also in the show notes just to make it super simple for you. But again, Organifi dot com forward slash Shaleen. I love them. Thank you for sponsoring the Shaleen Show. You guys are the bomb. Thank you, listeners, for supporting the Shaleen Show by supporting Organifi and in the process, supporting your health. All right, on to the show. What's up, Buttercup? Hey, thanks so much for joining me today here on the Shaleen Show. I'm your host, Shaleen Johnson. And today we are talking about what it takes to live happily ever after, how to be happily married, how to be happy in your partnership, what it takes. Spoiler alert, it is the hardest thing you'll ever do and perhaps the most rewarding. All right, let's get to it. Now, if you're new here, I need to preface this by saying I am not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist. However, over the course of the last 20 plus years, I've helped countless, I dare say thousands and thousands of couples to help repair their relationship I hope that I've helped you if you've listened to more than a couple of episodes. I devote a lot of time on The Shaleen Show to relationships, whether that's your romantic relationship or your relationship with your family, your kids, because it's important to me. It means a lot. And I've been there. My husband and I have been married for 26 years, together for more than 30, I think something like 31 or 32 years. Our parents have been married for 50 plus years on both sides. Brett and I used to work privately with couples, in particular couples who one or both of them were entrepreneurs. And I just find this to be such an important topic. And so much of the information that's out there is kind of like, I don't know, it's almost fairy tale ish It's like, well, that sounds great on paper, but it just don't work that way. 
I mean, like even when I tell you often, listen, you've got to do this, this or this. I also try to make it very obvious that the truth is, if only one of you is willing to change, if only one of you is willing to work, then you've got yourself a battle on your hands. You've got yourself a decision to be made. And I just don't think enough relationship experts factor in how much ego is involved when two people come together and try to stay together. So I'm going to try to give you very honest feedback today on what it takes. And a lot of this, spoiler alert, is hard work on your part. And sometimes it's met with equal enthusiasm by your partner, and sometimes it's not. I mean, there were many years in our relationship where I considered myself the martyr. I considered myself the quiet hero. I considered myself the only one. Well, I'm not just considered myself. I was the only one who was reading the books. I was the only one who was listening to the audio books. And that's fine because eventually it seeps into your relationship. But let me just be frank and say in 90% of relationships, there is only one party who's brave enough, courageous enough, confident enough to start the work and to start with themselves and to be selfless enough to say, okay, I can set my ego aside. (laughs) I know I'm right in this situation. I'm going to try to work on me. So the very first thing you have to do is you've got to start with your attitude. If you believe this is all your partner's fault, then just freaking stop listening. I cannot help you. You have to know you are also responsible for so many of the bad habits poor communication, these rituals that you've developed between the two of you. It's a dance. It really is. Now, in the event that there's abuse happening in your relationship, ladies and gentlemen, too, I mean, there's so much abuse that happens in gay marriages and and gay relationships as well. So I never want this to be like a same sex or opposite sex kind of relationship talk. This is talk in general. If your partner is being physically abusive or even emotionally abusive, you've got to protect yourself. You've got to protect your children. Now, setting those things aside, assuming those things aren't happening, what is happening in your relationship is a two-way street. And the suggestions that I have for you today will not be helpful in the least if you're not ready to receive them. If you're not able to look in the mirror and go, yeah, I have to do some work too. We cool? All right, cool. Let's move on. The first thing you have to recognize is that you've got to take time and you have to care about growing. You, you personally, without begrudgingly dragging your partner along, like pulling them by the ear. You have to know that in order for your relationship to be better, you have to be invested in being better. You have to read the books. You're going to have to continue to listen to the podcasts. You're going to have to go to therapy. You're going to have to focus on what you can do to heal your past traumas, your past experiences, become an emotionally stronger person, to become a person who's better at communicating. You know, there's always one partner. I'm sorry, there just is. There's always one partner who's going to do more of that work. And that partner, if you're resentful about the fact that you have to do more of the work, it just, it won't work. The reason why you're going to have to do more of the work, or you may have to, is because God has bigger plans for you, because he's given you more, and to whom more is given, more is expected. Life isn't fair. So you have to implicitly and intentionally plan to grow and improve everything about yourself. Healthy relationships are not equal partnerships. Frankly, there's always going to be one of you 
who's more emotionally intelligent, who's more invested in personal growth. Every single day, I get a message from somebody on Instagram who will say, how do I get my partner involved with personal development? How do I get my husband to take interest in health and fitness? How do I get my wife to listen to your show? How do I, you know, like, how do I change my partner? And the fact of the matter is we can influence people by being positive role models, by leading by example, by being loving towards them, by accepting them. That may never result in them listening to a podcast or an audiobook, but I guarantee that you have influence over them and they are learning by watching you. You're influencing their behavior in a positive way. You are uplifting them by being the person who is into these things. I can't say I've met too many couples where both parties are equally interested in going to therapy and reading self-help books. Like there are those of us who are we're just into this stuff and you're listening to the show right now, but you probably aren't married to somebody who is is equally into this stuff. I could be wrong. I've met a few exceptions. But for the most part, we usually attract people who are the opposite to us in many ways. And they're very similar in many ways, too. But that particular piece, that like quest for personal growth, where it's, it's like a hobby of yours to be a better person, hit me up on Instagram if you're like, yeah, it's totally my hobby. It is a hobby of mine, personal growth and being a better human. That's a pretty cool hobby to have. Like if that's you, like not everybody understands that. And that's okay, because you're going to make other people's lives better despite it. I believe the next key ingredient to a successful, happy relationship is time, time together, where you're minimizing temptation, you're minimizing the ability to grow apart. I mean, you see so many Hollywood couples, I'll just use that as an example, because it's one we're all familiar with. But you see these couples where we're watching them in social media or on TV, and they just look so beautiful and happy together on the red carpet and oftentimes the photos that we see of them, the paparazzi have grabbed them while they're on this beautiful tropical vacation and they just look so happy and serene. But then we find out that they're divorcing and they've only been married for like six years or five years or 10 years. And we're so sad because we had hoped that this relationship was going to last forever. But yet they also had very independent careers that often have them apart for months and months on end. It's really tough to grow together when you're apart. It's really tough to avoid temptation when you're constantly surrounded with it. Like we all have the need to be loved and appreciated and desirable like almost every day. So when you spend so much of your time apart from each other, whether that's vacations, lots of guys trips or girls trips, or you just aren't spending any time getting to know each other and enjoying these experiences together, it's much tougher to make that relationship work. It just is. I've seen this happen. Listen, like I said, been married 26 years, watched a lot of couples that we used to hang out with all the time, and you'd start to see them go down that path where they were just spending less and less time together, and you just cross your fingers and hope that this is just a stage or like, huh, maybe we spend too much time together. Well, we're still married, and they're not. So that has something to do with it. I look at my own parents as role models. I've interviewed countless people who've been married for two, three, and four, five decades. And this is a common theme. Building trust requires time. Building a connection requires time together. Developing emotional intimacy requires time. Having things that you share in common requires time. And not just time where the two of you are together and a bunch of other people. Like, 
you need time alone together, the two of you. Every time you go on a date, it's always a double date. It's really hard to create that connection with each other where you really enjoy just each other's company. And that's something you have to work on. You've got to put your phones down and you've got to spend time together so that you can build that trust and that emotional intimacy. And it it takes work and it takes practice. But once you build that secure attachment with each other, once you have that emotional connection, that emotional intimacy, it allows you, believe it or not, to be more confident to be a part, to be your own individual. If you're spending all of your time together as a means by which to control your partner, a means by which they have to prove to you that you are their world and you are everything to them, and so you might allow them, quote, allow them to go out with their buddies or to go on a guy's trip or the girls head off to Las Vegas. You might allow that, but you don't make it easy for them to ask. You don't celebrate it for them. You're not excited for them. You make it uncomfortable. Then that's a relationship that's still plagued by control and trust issues. You have to be so confident in your love and trust and the emotional connection that the two of you have together that spending time apart, you understand that there is a healthy dose of that that's necessary for couples to become interdependent, not codependent. And it's a fine line. I'm not going to lie. I love when Brett goes and does his own thing. I'm constantly encouraging him like, hey, why don't you plan a guy's trip? Don't you want to? I mean, it's a little tougher right now during COVID, but why don't you go do this with so-and-so or that with so-and-so? Because I want him to have that interdependence and I want mine. And I do sense when I want to go do things with the girls, he's happy for me. But I also know I can feel that he really misses me and wants me with him more so than he wants me to go hang out with my friends. And that's okay. It's okay because I know where it stems from. I know what creates that little bit of insecurity in him. And so I'm really careful to build him up and to bolster him and also to continue to do those things with my friends in moderation. I think it's best for us to spend as much time together as possible But I also know it's equally healthy for me to create that interdependence, to do my own thing, to recharge my battery with my girlfriends in a way that I can't with my husband, but also to understand that there's a deeper maybe loneliness or an insecurity with him where he really feels more comfortable when he's with me. And it's just understanding each other and having this, again, that emotional intimacy that allows us to express that to each other and to still be our best for each other and still do these things both together and apart, but a lot more together than apart. The next key element in having a happy, happily ever after is having models, having people who you are role modeling yourself after. And this is especially true if your parents were not that for you. If you were not raised in a household, which frankly is the norm to have been raised in a household where things were pretty dysfunctional, where your parents didn't get along or they were divorced or maybe one was an addict or an alcoholic, abusive, narcissistic. I mean, that's sadly more so the norm than people who were raised by like a happy couple who didn't fight, who were great communicators and positive with their children and positive with each other. And you saw them affectionate with each other. You saw them holding hands and you saw them saying, I love you. And you saw them being respectful to each other, and you saw them working things out, like that is really more of a rarity. And I feel blessed beyond measure that I saw that. I mean, I had like the best, and I still to this day have the absolute best on the planet 
role models when it comes to what a happily married couple looks like. I mean, they treat each other with the most respect. They have so much fun together. They are so respectful of each other. I watched the way they communicated with each other and the way they communicate with us. I watched the way that they were on the same page as parents. And so my own parents are incredible models, role models for me. But we also have models where you look at the behavior and say, okay, this is what I don't want and this is what I do want. So you don't have to like just take everything your parents did and say, well, they divorced, so therefore they were horrible role models. Not necessarily so. There are definitely things that you could pick up on and you're like, well, at least they did this right. I'm not going to do these things, but I can role model myself by looking at the behaviors I do want to incorporate into our relationship and those that were not helpful, those that I want to consistently avoid. If you aren't able to use your own parents or relatives, close relatives, as positive role models, which frankly, a lot of people don't, you've got to find someone or a couple who you can role model your relationship after theirs. And it might be from afar. It might be from reading their books or listening to podcasts, or it might be couples that you're watching on social media, perhaps. I want to caution you because that can also set you up for disaster. I know this year, a lot of high profile couples separated, like a lot of them, some who have been married for many, many years, who may have actually given marriage advice or talked about their relationships or gave people suggestions on how to improve their relationships. And when those relationships fail, we think, oh, well, then is all of this advice bogus? Like, should I have been listening to this couple's advice? I don't know because, and trust me, I know you're going to think that I'm talking about one couple in particular. I'm not. There's so many. I mean, there are authors of relationship and marriage books who, after 50 years of marriage and doing conferences and workshops and seminars on marriage, end up getting divorced. Like, it happens. Why? Because humans are flawed. We are all sinners. We are not perfect. Just because your brilliant cardiologist also happens to be a smoker doesn't mean the advice that he's giving to his own patients and the way that he's treating his patients It doesn't mean that that information is invalid. It just means that for whatever reason, he hasn't been able to apply the same practices in his own life. So I do caution you from using people far, far away as role models, but sometimes like you got to get it where you can get it. I've got friends who I use parts of their relationship as role models. Like you have to look for what's working and what you want to include in your own relationship and what you want to avoid. The next ingredient is maybe controversial. You might not agree with this, but it's putting effort into being physically attractive. Okay, there I said it. And I'm not going to apologize for this. I just think it's human nature. When you're in a relationship, a big piece of that is your physical intimacy. And how can we expect someone to want to, to desire to be physically intimate if they don't find us physically attractive? On our anniversary, I did one of those polls on Instagram where I'm like, ask us anything. And a lot of people, and Brock and Sarah, if you're listening, you're going to have to tune out for this part. Thank you very much. All right, let's leave a little dead air space. Time for Brock and Sierra to get out of the podcast, if for any reason they were listening. But you know, a lot of people wanted to know how often <laughs> Brett and I have sex. And my answer was almost every day. I mean, like if I'm saying seven days a week, like probably six days a week. Some weeks it's maybe five. And some weeks it's maybe seven, but probably like five, six days a week. And people were shocked. They're like, what? Has it always been that way? It has. 
we find each other and always have very physically attractive. We just have, and I work at it. I want to be attractive from him for him all the time. And he wants to do the same for me. And I want to do that for myself. Like I feel more sexually interested if I feel attractive for me. Now, I'm not an expert in this area. I'm probably a little bit more prudish than most, but I got so many messages from women in particular who said, I just am not into it at all. We are lucky if we do it once a month. I can't even tell you how many messages I got like that. And I wanted to ask a lot more questions, but it's just, it's not my place. But it made me wonder what's going on there. So if if you just do not feel any sexual attraction towards your partner? Is it because you're not attracted in general to them? Have they let themselves go? Or is it because you have some traumas you need to work through personally? Is it because you yourself don't feel attractive? I know like right after I had kids, I was like, oh, gross. What is the whose body is this? I know you're not supposed to say that. We're supposed to say, oh, I love my postpartum body. Well, you know what? Mm -mm, BS. I did not. I was like, what is all this gushiness? No one told me about this. Why are my boobs so big and like veiny? This is not cute. I did not like any part of it. That's great, y'all. And I see these people post their pictures on Instagram. I'm like, yeah, that's not what I look like postpartum. I would love my body too if I look like that. And I didn't feel very sexually interested in my husband at that time, mainly because I felt really gross. I worked really hard to get to a place where I felt good about myself again, where I felt attractive. And when I felt attractive, I was more attracted to him. Does that make sense? I also don't feel attracted to my husband when there's tension between us, which, you know, I mean, we're not perfect, but it's pretty rare now that we have one of those days or one of those moments. But in the past, in Relationship 1.0, there are many times where I'm like, I wanted to pinch his head off or I just didn't like him that much. Do you know what I mean? And I was like irritated with him. And maybe he didn't know that. I wasn't communicating that with him. I was just irritated with him or annoyed or felt disrespected or whatever it was. And it's really hard then to be physically romantic with someone, but we still kind of did it, you know, but I didn't enjoy it as much then. I just felt like that was something that could bring us closer together. And it often did, but I don't think that's a way to fix anything. And I completely sympathize. I empathize with anyone who things aren't going well in your relationship. And now you really don't feel like having sex either because, well, because things really aren't going well. And so then it becomes like a cycle, right? Like now, especially for guys, it seems to be the case. I've done enough investigating with my girlfriends and people who listen to the show. Like, you know, you guys, you reach out and you tell me like things there tends to be less tension between the two of you when he just needs it usually more than she does. Not always, certainly not always, but sometimes there's one partner in the relationship who really needs it and feels much more emotionally connected when you have it. So it's knowing like, maybe I need to do this even though I'm not really feeling it before we start. But usually once you start, like, you know, juices get flowing and you start feeling better and and you can get in the mood. But if this is an issue, like if you are lacking physical intimacy in your relationship, you got to do something about that. You have to figure that out. You have to start with you. You have to figure out what is it? What's at the root of this? And how can I address it? How can I work on me and eventually on us so that we can improve this really essential, important part of any healthy relationship? Oh, and I have a great podcast for you to listen to on this topic. 
It's by Esther Perel, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. And her podcast is called Where Do We Begin? And it's these live marital counseling sessions between usually husband and wife or whatever, couples. And a lot of times they get into sex. And wow, I've listened to so many of those episodes. It's really fascinating to hear all the reasons why things don't go as planned and how our past experiences and the way we were brought up and maybe even our religious influences and feelings towards each other. So many things affect this area of a relationship. And it's not just physical attractiveness, which is what I started with. Back to physical attractiveness. That is something that I personally believe you need to put some pride into. That means even on a day where like no one is going to see me except my husband, I'm still going to put effort into looking nice. Even if that's just in my, you know, exercise leggings and tennis shoes, I'm still going to do my makeup nicely. I'm still going to make sure I brush my teeth and I have deodorant on and a little bit of perfume and a cute hat. Like even on my messiest days, I want to be attractive to him. And he does the same for me. But we do that really for ourselves. Remember, you are a much more confident person when you feel good about your appearance, regardless of your weight. It isn't about weight, but it is about your health. I don't even have any idea what I weigh. I'm not going to get on a scale. I don't need to because I like the way I look. And I'm always working to improve that. I'm working to get as healthy as possible. I'm working to have muscle, to have a nice shape. We both exercise consistently six days a week. We do that, yeah, for our bodies so that we can be physically attractive for each other, but we also do that for our own confidence and to regulate our mood. And these are things that make us more attractive. These are things that make us happier and more confident. And people who regularly exercise have a higher sex drive, have a higher level of patience, of tolerance. They live longer. They're more confident. They're happier people. So there's a million reasons why we exercise to be attractive that aren't just physical and have nothing to do with weight. And it's about feeling good about who you are. And that is why I encourage all couples, if you want to put work into your relationship, you both also need to work on feeling good about yourselves. Yes, physically, but also emotionally, which leads me to my next point, which is if you don't feel good emotionally, if mentally your well-being is suffering at the moment, you can't possibly expect your relationship to fix anything. You aren't bringing your true self to the relationship. And it is never the responsibility of your partner to fix you, to make you whole, to make you happy, to make you feel wanted or needed or any of those things. That has to come from you. You've got to do the work. You've got to figure out why you feel this emptiness or why there's anxiety or sadness. You have to understand that in order to be your very best in this relationship. In order to have the best possible relationship, you need to be your best possible you. And if you're pointing at your partner and, and thinking that they are the reason why you're so unhappy, let me be the first to tell you that it starts with you. You've got to get yourself into a therapist. You've got to start talking to a professional. You've got to start fixing you and addressing you first and get to the root cause of what's making you unhappy, what's creating this anxiety for you. And in doing so, you will likely improve not just your romantic relationship, but likely all of your relationships. I'm urging you to stop suffering needlessly and thinking that if you get to the right weight, or if your husband would just change, or if your wife would just treat you differently, or if your kids would just start behaving, that you would be so much happier. Now, it, 
it comes from within. Happy people are happy and content even when things aren't going well because they know everything's going to be okay. And by everything's going to be okay, meaning you can't control these things. They're not your fault. Things may not go as planned, but they will turn out according to God's plan. The last and final ingredient that I want to share with you today, and we'll continue to talk about this because we just do. And I just shared with you, I don't know, 27 minutes worth of suggestions, but this one's, I think, pretty important. And I see it often being overlooked. And it is bringing appreciation to everything in your relationship. Appreciation for all of the ways they are different from you and they drive you crazy, but appreciating those things. Never taking for granted that the longer you're together, the easier it is to fall into the habit of like, well, he does that and she does this, or he does this and he does that. Like, you know, we get into these habits where I'll take care of the bills and he takes care of the children and I drive the car and she takes out the trash. Like we get into these habits and when we do that, it's really very easy to feel or to expect those things to happen. In other words, to take them for granted, to then feel as though we are owed that thing that they do because of the thing that we do. When we start keeping score in a relationship, we're destined for failure. Every day you want to wake up with sincere, legitimate gratitude and appreciation for the things that this person has always done, and not just to feel appreciation and gratitude, but to express it, to regularly say, Yes, I know that your wife is taking care of paying the bills electronically every month for the last, I don't know, seven years. But every single month to say, I appreciate that you do that because I hate that part of being an adult. I appreciate the fact that whatever it is, like there are things that we each do and we can very easily slip into, well, I don't feel appreciated or I'm doing this, but he has to do that. I do this. So therefore, I don't have to express my gratitude that she does that. When we stop keeping score, when we throw away the scorecard, when we are no longer historians, happy to bring up what we've done in the past or what they've done in the past, are quick to remind our partners of transgressions, always bringing up something that happened in the past or something he said or she said or they did. When we do that, you can't operate with gratitude and you certainly can't operate with appreciation. You're operating from a place of resentment and bitterness, of hostility. When you're in a loving relationship, you should never feel like you are entitled to something or that your partner owes you something or that you made this sacrifice for them. We moved here because of your job. When we approach a relationship like that, it's nothing but you become enemies. You've forgotten that you're on the same team. Appreciation and gratitude are habits and they're really, really good habits to practice. And if you just forget to do this, if you're like, yes, I know I need to do this. Every time I hear you say this, Shalene, I remind myself I have to, and then I forget. I get out of the practice. Then just like any other habit, you know, we've done a lot of episodes on habit formation. Create the same habits for your relationship the way you do any other habit. Attach it to something else. If you know you need to send your significant other a text of appreciation at least once a day, well, then set a reminder in your phone. Remind yourself, attach it to the habit that you have with Instagram, that every time you open Instagram, you're going to remind yourself, send a text of appreciation to your partner, appreciating something that they probably think you take for granted, but you don't. You just have forgotten to take the time 
to appreciate them for that. And guess what's going to happen? Maybe not initially. Like I said, there's always one partner who's a little stronger, who's a little better at these kinds of things, but I guarantee you're going to rub off on your partner. I guarantee you're going to be a positive influence and it may take some time, but it's going to happen. And you want to do these things because you love this person, not because you're expecting it, not because waiting for them to reciprocate. That's not why we do these things. We do these things because we truly, genuinely love and appreciate our partner. What we focus on grows. If you're listening to this episode because your relationship is not in the best state at the moment, I have a simple practice that I want to encourage you to do, and that is this. Every single day, I want you to wake up and write in your push journal or on paper or on your Instagram stories, but I want you to put in writing one thing that you are grateful for as it pertains to your significant other and share that with them. Do this every day for 30 days and I guarantee, money back guarantee, the price of this podcast will be fully refunded to you if it doesn't dramatically make a difference in the way that your partner responds to you and the way that you feel about your relationship. Because what we look for, we see. What we believe to be true is true. So if you start waking up every day with love and appreciation for your partner, guess what will begin to grow? Guess what will begin to thrive? And hey, what do you have to lose? Listen, I really do appreciate the growth and the courage that it takes to listen to episodes like this and to take a look in the mirror and to do the hard work. It is hard work. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do. It's why a lot of people don't stay married. And you know, it does often mean one party has to work harder than the other. So thank you for being that person who's listening to this episode. Thank you for loving your partner enough to share this episode with them. Open up your phone, open up your text message and just share this podcast with them and say, I love you so much. And I am going to work on doing everything I can to be a better partner for you. I promise you, this stuff works, you guys. I love it. And I love you. Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you soon.